third base this season will not be the black hole that it was in 2021 for the Reds. And the players continue to try. No thanks to the owners. Roll the intro. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. I'm your co-host, Stephen Offenbaker, alongside co-host Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball and a passion for the Cincinnati Reds. We've turned that passion into information for you. On today's podcast, we're going to take a look at third base and dig into what the Reds might be able to expect from the hot corner in 2022. And Jeff, I think this is a complicated position to look at and really predict what we can expect. But before we dig into that, I have got to tell you, I really admire your bold fashion choice today because you have never looked like you were going to be announcing the the founding of a craft brewery more than you do today. I just want to say for our YouTube folks, well, you got to agree with me. And if you're audio only, jump over to YouTube, check out Jeff. He's announcing some kind of new beer right now, I think. <laughs> jump over to YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed too. You don't miss anything we've got for you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to look good today for the craft on YouTube, you know, <laughs> have it nice. And then if I really wanted to, I could throw my hood up and. Right. Are we are we rolling with an IPA or are we going to start with a nice lager? What are we doing is is the question. Actually, there. I've heard rumor that if you begin with a stout and then go to a lager, the lager tastes better. So there you go. Well, there you go. But listen, <laughs> let's jump into this third base talk, Jeff, because for me, uh, this is the position that can sink or swim yes. the entire 2022 season. Uh, obviously, last year, it was a pretty hot mess over there uh, between the defensive woes of Mike Moustakis trying to play through injury and then what he did at the plate when he was actually in a ball game uh, were pretty abysmal uh, just all the way around. Uh, a. Eugenio Suarez uh, continued to disappoint offensively for uh, a majority of the season. Uh, you know, then September Gino showed up and gave us a glimmer of hope, but it really is a pretty big question mark for 2022. Hot mess is um, a nice way to put it. I, there's a whole lot of other words that I just won't use right now. And to be honest with you, when I look at third base, my first reasoning and not necessarily in order of importance, but the first reason for me that third base will be better this year is it can't get much worse. Like, I mean, the law of averages just say this is going to be a better position for the Reds. And I think that part of it is that September for a Eugenio Suarez, something that if you look at his career and what he was doing in the couple of years where it was like, man, a Eugenio Suarez is going to have a very nice career and the Reds contract extension that they gave him is going to look completely just really smart. And now we're like, boy, oh boy, there's a lot of money tied up in Gino, eh? Um, but, uh, but when you look at his career, he kind of fizzles a little bit toward the end of the season. He didn't do that last year. And in fact, that last month he was night and day Gino, the rest of the year, he was almost unhittable. And in that last one, and, and you want to be that if you're a pitcher, not if you're a hitter. And then in the month of September, it was just gone off. The, the numbers were through the roof and that looked like a guy to be honest with you, I know that I'm an optimist. I, I'm kind of going to hang my head on September. I think he's going to be better. I don't think he's going to get on base like 40% of the time like he was doing in September, but I think he's going to be much closer to that version of Gino than he was April through August. 
You know, if we're talking about can Gino be Gino again, uh, you know, I think I agree with you. I think September Gino uh, is who we hope that he is. I'm convinced, Jeff, and, you know, I don't got really anything to back this up other than the eye test. I am convinced that that shoulder injury from the swimming pool mishap was a whole lot worse than, than Eugenio Suarez ever let on that it was. And I think that he was, he was still hurt when he said that he wasn't. I think that the shoulder wasn't right when he said that it was. I think we see it in the way that he was throwing the baseball. I think we see it in the way that he was swinging the bat. Uh, you know, one of, his, one of his inclines in performance, uh, as you would call it, uh, was when he hurt his hand and changed his swing. And I think that that helped, that helped him kind of overcome that shoulder pain. And, you know, my hope is that around about September, that shoulder was really healing up and that that is actually the Gino that's going to show up at spring training this year, uh, assuming there is a spring training. Something that I noticed early on in the year, and a lot of people noticed this, so I wasn't the only one, but it really seemed like as he continued to struggle, his swing plane got way more of an uppercut. Like he was trying to loft the ball out of great American ballpark. He wasn't trying to barrel the ball up. He was trying to golf it. And at some points it almost looked like he was swinging a nine iron as opposed to a baseball bat. I, I think that he realized after hurting his hand, he had to have a, le a level swing plane. You saw a lot more line drives, just leaping off the bat. It looked a lot more like what we saw in 2019. And I think that it is huge for the Reds. We say that, you know, third base is a pivotal position for the Reds as a whole, but to be honest with you, it begins very much with a Eugenio Suarez because I think when we look at Moose, a bounce back and resurgence for him is that you can have them both in the lineup at the same time. Not that you have to platoon them. I think that platooning these two guys, and, and mostly that has to do with Gino. If Gino hits lefties and righties, then great. We're good. The Reds are going to be pretty good this year. And, and that's going to go a long way to making sure that that happens. And Moose probably doesn't hit against left-handed pitching, but... If it's not a situation where you have to take one of them out of the lineup based on the guy who's on the mound for the other team, then we're going to see a successful third base. Because, yes, Suarez is kind of the 55% of this deal. The other 45% is still very important. Moose has to bounce back. But again, how much worse can he be? He was really bad last year, too. Well, my hope for the Reds is that if Mike Moustakis continues to play in 2022 like he did in 2021, I hope that they stop trying to force the issue and they don't run him out there. Yeah. I mean, I think the I think the universal DH does help with that. You know, as you're talking about having them both in the lineup at the same time, uh, if if it's a matter of you know as Moustakis is aging. Uh, the rigors of playing the field and batting are a little bit much for him, and we can utilize the DH to to keep him healthy, keep his bat pr producing, and keep him in the lineup from time to time, then I'm good with that. And I understand how much money he's making. We can't change that. I mean, his contract is his contract. Nobody's taking that contract on. They're not trading him. It's not happening. So if you can find spots to help find Mustakis be successful, let him get hot, and then utilize that to your advantage, I'm all for it. But, uh, you know, I think you're right. The, the majority of the onus, the majority of the pressure and, and it really will yeah. be some pressure is for a Eugenio Suarez to be the man and to be the guy that we talked about uh, could be the next leader of this team when Votto finally retires. And uh, you know, that's kind of gone by the wayside with the emergence of India as we talked about, but Gino, Gino still has a lot of baseball left in him. I'm convinced of it. And if, if he's right, I think that uh, 
third base could be a bright spot rather than a black hole in 2022. I agree. And there's one too, before we kind of close out the third base discussion, there's one guy that's interesting to me. And I think that if he does get a lot of playing time, the Reds are in dire shape and it's not because of this player, but it's because things have gone so poorly with Gino and with Moose, but Alejo Lopez could be an interesting candidate when it comes to third base. Alejo Lopez could be a very interesting candidate at a lot of positions this year. The thing is, he's just got to be a candidate. The Reds actually have to give him a shot because I think he's ready. I think he is ready to take the reins. Of course, we have a lot more to talk about where it concerns Alejo Lopez. But I'm going to tell you this, Steve. Um, Coming up, and actually Steve already knows this, so I'm not telling him anything. But coming up, Steve and I are going to finish each other's sentences. No, not like that. No, no, no. <laughs> Get your head out of the gutter there. The red success is directly tied to some. The red success is specifically tied to some player successes. We are going to talk about that. And I'm telling you what success of your diet is directly tied to Built Bar. Head on over to Built.com today and use the promo code LOCK15 to save some money on your next order of the amazingly awesome Built Bar. It's that time of year where pretty much everybody's given up on their New Year's resolutions. You said almost three months ago you were getting healthier. What happened to that? Built Bar can help you out. Go there today and check out all of their amazing flavors that they have. We're talking about stuff like Cherry Barcia. We're talking about Coconut. We're talking about Peanut Butter Brownie. These are things that don't sound healthy, but they are because it is made with 100% real chocolate. We're talking about a protein bar that has surpassed all of the protein bars to the point we are comparing them to candy bars. We are no longer saying... Well, what about that chalky thing? What about that waxy thing? Built Bar's blown that all out of the water, and you've got to check it out if you haven't already. They've got 130 calories on average. We're talking 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and up to 17, sometimes 18 grams of protein. But again, these taste almost as good, if not better, than candy bars because they're made with 100% real chocolate. Whether white chocolate, uh, milk chocolate, or dark chocolate, They've got it all. Check them out at built.com today and use that promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. They've got all kind of limited time flavors as well that are rolling in and out. You've got to make sure you check up every so often to see if they've got some good stuff going on. They got uh, white chocolate cookies and cream, I think, right now. So, uh, yeah, you're going to want to jump on that. Built.com and the promo code LOCKED15. Make sure to give Locked On MLB Prospects a listen after today's podcast. Lindsey Crosby is a minor league encyclopedia and will keep you up to date on the up-and-coming players as well as some college baseball talk. The Locked On MLB Prospects podcast is just like Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at S. Offenbaker and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. Also at Locked On Reds and subscribe right here. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure that you're subscribed. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, head on over to YouTube, subscribe. We've got all kinds of great stuff coming for you that is YouTube only on the Locked On Reds YouTube page. And when it comes to the next podcast, uh, Steve and I are going to talk some shortstop. But we are finishing each other's sentences today. 
there's lots of things going on when it comes to the red success. And uh, the first thing I'm thinking of is if Kyle Farmer is the everyday shortstop for the Reds in 2022, everything has gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I understand that there's a, a sense of loyalty out there for Kyle Farmer. Kyle Farmer did some things that were pretty impressive given what the Reds asked him to do. And when they ask him to do it, you know, he's never played more in his career than he did last season. He was asked to play one of the most challenging positions on the field uh, when his previous organization thought he was nothing better than a a second string catcher. So it was pretty impressive for him to get out there and defensively. Now, defensively, I'm talking hold his own. Uh, He did pretty well. But when you look at having Kyle Farmer in the lineup on an everyday basis, you know, he was uh, 20 percent below major league average as a whole. In, in, in the offensive categories. And while his July was phenomenal and probably 20 points of his OPS plus come directly from his July performance, uh, the rest of it was fairly subpar. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that Kyle Farmer has a spot and uh, an ability to help this team. As a utility guy, off of the bench, spot starts, he can play third, he can play short, he can play second, he can emergency catch, and I think you could even stick him out in the outfield because, hell, they'll stick anybody out there these days and let him play <laughs> left field. So I'm talking to you, Max Schrock. It's just... It's just one of those things. So if Kyle Farmer is the everyday shortstop, you know, it means Jose Barrero was hurt. It means he's been an absolute disaster in the lineup. It means that something is very, very bad if we see Kyle Farmer all the time. I'm going to need you to put some respect on Max Schrock's name now. I like Max Schrock. He's a good dude. No, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. If Kyle Farmer's playing every day at shortstop, then, yeah, it's nice. He, he was gritty. He was, he was a blue-collar baseball player last year. He is not the guy that's going to send this team to the postseason. If the Reds are in the postseason, it is not because of Kyle Farmer. Kyle Farmer is a great fill-in dude. He is a great utility player. He is the guy that plugs the holes. And if you specifically put him in one hole and you, you that's what you're going to do, and that is your plan once again. He was like plan D or E last year when it came to the shortstop. And don't get me wrong, plan A for the Reds at shortstop was, does anybody even want to play this position? So it, it, it's a lot of, yeah, he did some nice things, but I am convinced. And that is, I don't even think it's This is a very hot take. I think that last year is the best year of Kyle Farmer's career, obviously so far, but I think as we look forward as well. And that's no, I'm not trying to throw shade. Uh, I'm not trying to be, you know, negative about the guy. I just think that's what his career has been to this point. And I think it's what it's going to be. Like he might have some okay years to finish out his career, but I think that will be the best one that he does. All right, Jeff, let's try this. If Hunter Green. It's 25 starts for the Reds in 2022. The Reds are making the postseason. And I cool. I say that because I believe Hunter Green is going to step up to the challenge. We know he's got an amazing fastball and that crazy velocity. Sure, it doesn't quite spin like you want it to. And, and you know, this is Spencinati and we, we focus on the spin in Derek Johnson's pitching world. But he is able to parlay that fastball into a beautiful slider that is just absolutely fooling hitters at all minor league levels, including AAA, even though he had that one bad start 
I, I, I don't know. I kind of throw that one out. So when I look at this, fastball slider, good. I think the changeup's going to follow right along. And the whole point with the changeup, it doesn't have to be Luis Castillo's changeup. It doesn't have to be Jacob deGrom or, you know, it doesn't have to be Devin Williams' changeup or anything like that. All he has to do is get that same arm slot, same arm speed, and same release point but just have a slower pitch. Like, that's all you got to do. And, and you remember, like, whenever Aroldis Chapman pitched, he had a changeup. It was like 91 miles an hour. But because the fastball was like 104, that still looked like a very slow pitch to the hitters at the plate. I think that that's all he's really got to do. And I think that he's going to step up to the plate and do that. The Reds just have to give him that opportunity and not pull some kind of service time manipulation thing, which hopefully that's not even going to be something they can do once the CBA thing is figured out. You know, I agree with pretty much everything that you just said, Jeff. And for me, if Hunter Green gets 25 starts, it means that his arm is completely healthy. Yes. It means that the Reds have done a phenomenal job through the course of an entire major league season of managing his innings, of making sure to protect him and not let him overthrow and overwork. And I think you're right. That Hunter Green, the Hunter Green that is healthy, the Hunter Green that is brought along in the correct way by Derek Johnson and this pitching coach's staff, uh, I think that Hunter Green helps push them towards the postseason. Again, we're probably talking about an expanded postseason, so they don't necessarily have to win the division. They just have to be in the top two, top three, maybe even. So for me, you're right. Hunter Green, 25 starts, great, rested, healthy arm, postseason bound. So Reds, if you're smart and you're listening to us, which you're smart for listening to us, maybe. Uh, start Hunter Green 25 times this year. We're going to be a pretty darn good. And, you know, depending on what the CBA looks like and things like that, the players have made some uh, different proposals and things like that that could make it interesting for a small market team that is actually a winning team. So, But we'll talk about that more in a minute because, uh, Steve, if Nixon Zell plays less than 130 games, Jose Barrero is probably no longer a shortstop. He's the everyday center fielder. Mm. I think that the outfield is in such a bad situation for depth right now. And it is such a bad place for having a next man up. If, if this happens that they will continue with this experiment of moving shortstops to center field, it'll be Jose Barrero out there. And that means leads us back to what we talked about at the top of this segment. That means Kyle Farmer is playing a lot of shortstop and it means that everything has gone wrong. Yeah. I just don't see the Reds being able to be successful. If Senzel is not out there more than 130 games, I think he needs to be out there 150 games and performing well for the Reds to have a legitimate chance at the postseason. And make no mistake about it, it's not because either Steve or I are convinced of the absolute dominant performance that Nick Senzel is going to put up. It's because the Reds have bet on him yet again. The Reds have pushed their chips in for 2022 that Nick Senzel is going to be healthy, and when he's healthy, he's going to play a lot better than he has shown so far in his career. There's a lot of ifs there, but the biggest if is he going to be healthy at all? And it's funny because before we started recording today, I even asked you if 130 was too high because in my mind, I'm like, I just like to see him play 100 games. But you're right. If he's playing like 100 games, 105 games, but that's it, we're still talking about a generous portion of the season that the Reds just don't have a center fielder because 
that you had like those zips projections that Dan Simborski puts up over at fangraphs.com and TJ Friedel was listed as the number one center fielder. Don't get me wrong. I like yeah, TJ Friedel. That ain't going to get it done. It's not getting the I job do it. done. Not getting the job done. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, and, and with Jose Barrera, that, that kind of intrigues me a bit because you have Matt McLean on the way up. Do they fast track him if that happens? Or is this a situation where then, yes, Kyle Farmer is slotted in as the everyday shortstop and they just go from there. It, it, it's going to be a lot. And then, of course, <clears throat> Leo Lopez. Yeah. Uh, right, and we're definitely going to dig into that more on next week's episode because there's a, there's a lot of moving parts at the shortstop position for sure. But let me ask you this, Jeff. If there are no Reds relief pitchers, with more than 10 saves. The Reds are missing the postseason. And I get it. Saves are an interesting stat. And we could do a whole segment about whether or not it's a legitimate stat. and Or it was just something contrived so that relief pitchers had a better shot to negotiate a higher salary. Something like that. The point of the matter is, last year, no Reds reliever had over eight saves. You had Michael Gibbons with eight saves. And you had Heath Embry with eight saves. There are so many teams out there that had well more than that. Of course, they actually had a legitimate, you know, ace of the bullpen that they used in the closers role to get those saves. Josh haters, the first guy that comes to mind, obviously not everybody has a Josh hater, but then you still have guys like Craig Kimbrell and you have Kenley Jansen and you have uh, just guys that can actually get saves. The Reds didn't have that one guy that they trusted all year long. And part of it was because Lucas Sims got hurt. Part of it was because TJ Antone got hurt. But at the same time, nobody stepped up at any point during the season where you're like, that's the guy that's going to nail down the final inning for us. And they absolutely have to have a number one top tier level trust guy, which we kind of talked about a little bit on last episode where we think it's Lucas Sims and Luis Sessa and then everybody else can just figure things out amongst themselves, but they've got to figure it out this season or else they ain't making the playoffs. Well, listen, Jeff, you know, to talk about saves, you have to talk about having wins because to get a save, you have to win. The second piece of that was the 2021 Reds bullpen was a, such a train wreck for such a majority of the season that the starters would hand over games with lead and the middle relief guys would blow that before there was ever a save opportunity in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, I think we've identified some arms that can go out and get you saves, but what we really need to be talking about is the middle innings guys that can be reliable, that can be consistent and can go out there and preserve that lead to get you into a save situation that can hold the other team at bay long enough to get to your eighth inning guy to get to your ninth inning guy and then allow for there to be save opportunities i think that that's going to be one of the more interesting components to whatever the rest of the offseason looks like after the lockout because there is some work to be done amongst those middle innings relievers that really need to be done to help this team be even have hope of being a postseason team yeah one day i'm gonna look up how many leads they blew last year but i am far too scared to do it right now all right, Jeff. Well, listen, coming up, we're going to talk day three of the face-to-face CBA negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. We'll get you caught up on what happened at the negotiation table. But first, I want to tell you where you can get the best sports wagering info, and that's at betonline.net. BetOnline.net has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores and news this season. Uh, BetOnline has multiple 
up-to-the-minute lines of info on pro and college hoops. They have the NHL. They have boxing. They have UFC. And all of those uh, games are updated with live, real-time updates throughout the course of the game. So head over to betonline.net to get all of your information to help you be smarter than the house in Vegas. Thanks again for making Locked on Reds your first listen. Now make sure that you uh, are following this podcast on all platforms as well as YouTube. Uh, click that subscribe button on YouTube for sure if you're an audio-only listener because Jeff and I have some surprises coming once this lockout ends, and I can't tease too much more than that, but there's some great stuff coming, and you aren't going to want to miss it. There will be uh, some exclusive videos over there on YouTube that you're definitely going to want to check out. Uh, CBA negotiations continued, Jeff, and uh, not a lot happened today. There was a little bit more incremental movement, but I think the biggest takeaway of the day were the owners coming away from negotiations saying that they're out of ideas. Uh, they, they feel like they have, they have racked their brains and, and tested the, the limits of their intellect, and they have come up with everything that they can come up with to present to the players to no avail. Uh, my thoughts on that is that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, the small movements are still kind of in line with the predictions I've made as far as negotiations go. Uh, I think a big part of this is the players are, or not the players, I'm sorry, the owners are seeing that for the first time in uh, negotiation history, uh, the masses aren't buying what they're selling. People are not believing this narrative that the owners are putting out. If you if you read social media, if you look at the media coverage, uh, nobody's buying it. Nobody believes that the owners are actually out of ideas. Nobody believes that the owners don't know what to do to make things happen. But yet they look in a camera, they say they're out of ideas. They say that they just don't know what to do next. But <laughs> Jeff, I think there are some people with some ideas. The players got some ideas, Steve. And it's it's silly to me that the owners, I mean, it, it's well reported by many different baseball writers that the owners just wanted to keep the status quo. They didn't want to change anything. And that's why they don't have anything to say because they're like, well, what's there to say other than don't change anything? And then the players are like, well, we need change. And the one thing that I love, we've been talking a lot about money and this and that and the 1% and stuff like that. Not the 1% as in, you know, the most rich, but, you know, the <laughs> players going from. Oh, well, no, this is about the 1%. Make no well, mistake. Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, like. <laughs> the problem here is about the 1%. <laughs> the 43% revenue to 44%. But yes, yes, obviously. But this I want to focus on because Jeff Passan broke down exactly what the players are proposing when it comes to trying to quell the idea of tanking. It's a very prevalent thing. I mean, when was the last time the Orioles were in contention? I don't even know. I think Cal Ripken was still playing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I mean, the Tigers actually look like they're going to go for something, but it feels like they've been out for a few years. The Reds, uh, hello. Uh, there's so much that it's like, and, and I don't even know that the Reds were actually actively tanking, but there has to be some de-incentivizing for teams that lose because it feels like there are perennial losers out there that don't care that they're losing and, and that's just wrong. So I love what the players have done. I love this breakdown that Jeff Passan shared. It's not just a draft lottery because ask the NBA, a draft lottery by itself doesn't get rid of tanking. You still have plenty of NBA teams that are tanking looking at you, Houston Rockets lottery for top seven picks among the 18 non-playoff teams. So top seven, 
so 11 teams would be out of this lottery. The MLBPA is proposing a 12-team playoff, so there's that. That's why it's 18 non-playoff teams, while the owners are proposing for 14. The remainder of those picks that aren't in the lottery after those seven uh, would go in reverse order of winning percentage, unless... Just a couple of bullet points here, and we'll stop after a couple of these. For teams that don't pay revenue sharing, finish bottom eight in winning percentage for three straight years, and they can't pick higher than 10th. I like that. I like that. Uh, If they finish in the bottom eight for four straight years, they pick 18th. So they might as well have just made the playoffs anyway. For teams that pay revenue sharing, finishing the bottom eight two straight years or bottom 12 for three consecutive, they can't pick higher than 10th and finish in the bottom 12 for four straight years, they pick 18th. So essentially, the teams that don't pay revenue sharing, i.e. small market, and the teams that do pay revenue sharing, large market, they are proposing a little bit more past the draft lottery. This is something that you and I said the other day, that the draft lottery itself just doesn't get it done. I, I agree. And and even this, Jeff, I think doesn't go far enough. I, I think it's a great start. I think it's a it's a starting point where uh, you start to see some penalties for being the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates. You, you start to see that. Uh, there needs to be a financial component to this also, because I don't think the draft picks is quite enough. I mean, you and I know that, you know, draft picks in Major League Baseball don't work like draft picks in the NBA. They don't work like draft picks in the NFL. These guys that you're drafting are hit or miss. You don't know 100% for sure if they're going to make it or not. So while there is some opportunity there to perform, get extra picks and build your franchise, it's not a guarantee. You know, what, what will be a guarantee to create competitive balance is to create a salary floor. And I think that's really the thing that has to come and has to come into play quickly to, to balance out some of this competition and get teams like Pittsburgh and Baltimore and the perennial losers of the league to really elevate their game. Uh, I, and I don't think that uh, they have to happen uh, exclusively. I think that these two proposals, a proposal for a salary floor and this proposal that the players put forward could work together to really create a competitive balance more like we see in the NFL, more like we see in the NBA in most cases uh, where teams are spending some money, they're getting some better players, they're also building uh, their system with a good young core right. and teams can start to move forward and be winning. Uh, I, I like this as a beginning spot, but I think there's more work to be done. I agree. And and before I ask you, because I have a question for you about a salary floor, but there was also two other things. If a club eligible for a competitive balance pick defined as a team from the 10 smallest markets or among those with the 10 lowest revenues qualifies for the playoffs, that team receives an extra draft choice directly after the first round. I like that. If a club eligible for a competitive balance pick is better, is, you know, a 500 team or better, it receives an extra draft choice directly after the second round. So there's a possibility, and the Reds would fall in under this category, that um, they would get two extra draft picks being over 500 and being in the playoffs. But when it comes to the salary floor idea, what do you think is a good threshold? You know, if we're going to continue to hover around this $200 million number as the the tax cap, if we're going to be in that vicinity, then I I think the floor has got to be, and my floor is probably higher than what most people would say, but I think you're talking about $100 million. 
I think, I think that that's probably needs to be the minimum that a team spends to put uh, a non-embarrassing team on the field. You know, yeah. we've seen teams running out there with 50, 55, $60 million payrolls that are an absolute joke that don't stand a chance to win more than 70 games in a season, no matter what they do. So I, I think that that is the bare minimum that should be spent every year in order to put a competitive product on the field. Yeah, I'll never forget last year, uh, Ethan Smith, our Lockdown Pirates host, told me that if the Pirates were to have gotten rid of Gregory Polanco at any point last year, they would effectively cut their payroll in half just by getting rid of one player. Like, that's ridiculous. It makes no sense at all to me. So, yes, I agree. There's got to be some sort of salary floor with all of this talk about Let's call it what it is, salary cap. I mean, the highest team, that's the reason. Like, I love the fact that the Reds got Luis Sessa and Justin Wilson for a player to be named later, but the only reason they got that is because the Yankees had to get in under the luxury tax. They didn't want to pay it. They didn't want to get rid of money. They don't care about the draft pick, you know, losing draft picks and all that stuff. They care about the money penalties. So they wanted to get under that threshold. That's what happens. They basically self-impose a salary cap though they just don't call it it so you need a salary floor and, and there's been some folks that have said like depending on where you set that salary floor there's going to be teams that just go out and sign a guy for like 30 million dollars a year to try and get their number up but i still think that even then like you put i don't know you put carlos correa on the pirates it's kind of interesting i mean it doesn't make them better than anybody in the central but you're at least not being like um am i really watching pirates games right now <laughs> you know what it does though jeff it allows a team like the pirates let's say that's what happens they spend 30 million dollars they sign correa he's not is he going to make them a winner are they going to the world series no it's not but he becomes an interesting trade piece he becomes yep. somebody that they can then flip for a couple prospects for a couple draft picks and a prospect and start building the organization. I think it goes a long way in helping the players get paid, but it also goes a long way in giving these teams that don't have any interesting pieces to move pieces to move and ways to, to help build an organization and make the general manager be important again. It does a lot of things. It, it creates a lot of opportunity within the game to do more than just go out and sign players. It brings back some of the old school baseball where I got a guy you want, you got a guy I want, let's play ball. Uh, I, I think it creates interesting possibilities. I agree. And, and I think that there's still a lot more to be had here. Again, the owners really didn't have anything to say about this proposal, which is kind of a bummer because I think that there's a lot of cool elements in there. Does it fix everything? No, but there's some cool stuff. There's a lot that they've got to get done, though, over the next couple of days. And we're going to be back with you on Monday to talk about all of that and also to talk about the position the Reds seem to always forget about. Shortstop. Well, maybe they don't forget about it. Maybe they're just expecting Barry Larkin to come out of retirement and play shortstop again for him. I don't, I don't know. But we're going to talk about that on Monday, along with whatever happened in the CBA. Thanks for making the Locked On Reds podcast your first listen of the day. Now go make your second listen. Locked On MLB Prospects and also Locked On Bets because they can make you some cash off your sports knowledge, thanks to your boy Q and Lee Sterling and all the info they've got for you. Locked on bets is just like locked on Reds and locked on MOB prospects, free and available on all platforms. It might be the off season, and we might still be locked down. But Steve, what are we? We are locked on Reds every 
single day. See you next time.